You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here tonight. Um, Brother Kobernack has been a very good uh, encouragement to uh, my dad, who pastors in uh, at Liberty Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina, so we're not terribly far away. Um, and ever since we moved here, we moved to Durham about seven years ago, uh, actually seven years ago last month. Um, and ever since then, Brother Brother Coburnett's been one of the uh, people in the area and in, in the surrounding area, the North Carolina, Virginia area, that has reached out and been a huge encouragement to my dad. And uh, I greatly appreciate that. And I know I don't have to brag on him here. Uh, Y'all know that uh, you've got a great man of God. Uh, leading you for sure, and uh, but I was saved at the age of four, and uh, in Longview, Texas, where we grew up. Um, I grew up just about two hours east of Dallas, so big time Dallas Cowboy fan, Dallas everything. I'm sorry, I know, don't hate me. Uh, love offering just went down. Uh, I get it, but no, I grew up there and and uh, uh, got saved at the age of four at my uh, home church there in in Longview, and uh, about 16 when God called me to preach, and then not couple, uh, really four or five months ago, uh, God called me into evangelism, and uh, Brother Covenant was actually at that service at our uh, home church's revival, and uh, he was one of the first ones that walked right up to me and said, let me know when you're ready, and then we'll get you at victory, and so um, he's just very encouraging, very good friend of ours, and, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity here for sure. Uh, I don't take it lightly. Um, every service that I've been able to be a part of uh, since stepping out um, has been an honor and a privilege uh, for sure, and this is no different. And especially since he's away, um, I, I take it very, very uh, seriously because I don't want the, the people of God to walk away uh, malnourished because their head chef wasn't here. Uh, and I want to make sure you got something good tonight that you can, that you can use uh, this week and, and heading into uh, your next services. If you would, please turn to Romans chapter 8, and uh, we'll jump right into this. And I, don't, I definitely don't want to keep you long, and yes, the more uh, response I get, uh, we'll be done in five minutes, uh, we'll get you out. Uh, no, but I'll try to make sure I keep the time for sure. Um, I don't want to keep you terribly long, but I do want to make sure we get what God has for us, and uh, I do want to make sure that the, the Bible is preached and the gospel is clearly given here. Um, so if you bear with me as we get through this, and let's see uh, what God has for us. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at, starting in verse uh, number 18, and uh, we're going to read a couple verses here. I hope you don't mind us using our Bibles a little bit. Uh, but we're going to read a couple verses here, starting in verse number 18. It says, For I reckon that, let you know Paul is from the South, but for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity. Not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he hope yet hope for? But if we hope for that, for that we see not, 
then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for, as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And this is the verse we really want to focus on, very popular verse. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I, I, I love reading about uh, the many promises that God gives us. I love going through Scripture and finding things that God says, look, if you do this, I'll make sure I do this. Uh, we see it from the very, very beginning uh, in Adam and Eve's life uh, where they fall and, and God already gives them a promise. We see it in Noah where God says, look, I promise I'll preserve you. We see it in Abraham, I promise you'll get a son. We see it time and time again where God shows his promises and he shows to be faithful in those promises. And I'm glad we have a God that does not fail at promises. Uh, I'm glad we have a God that doesn't give empty promises. And I'm glad we have a God that is, that is willing and able uh, to give us what we need when we need it. Uh, let's pray real quick and then, and then we'll jump right into it. Father, please be with us. Uh, help us to, to learn something from your word. Uh, please help me to say what I need to say and uh, use me as a, as a vessel to give uh, a piece of truth to someone that needs it tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to, by way of introduction, I want to ask you two different questions, and then we'll jump here uh, into the message. First question is, what promises can you use? What promises of God can you use? If you notice, almost every promise that God gives us, whether it's, it's the promise of eternal life, whether it is the promise of something uh, that comes in the Christian life, every single promise comes with something that you need to do in response. For salvation, we know it's, it's free for all, but there is that response of accepting Christ as your Savior. God said, I will become the Savior of your life. I will give you the hope of glory if you ask me. I'm waiting for that, for that, that step of faith. Every promise of God is waiting for the believer to take a step. The Bible says to draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. God stays right where you need to be and helps you get to where he wants you. And eventually, you, if, if we're smart and if we're following God, eventually we end up where we're supposed to be in life. Not just in heaven, obviously, by faith, we're trusting in him as our only hope for heaven. But while we're here, what promises can we use? There are plenty of promises in Scripture. There are plenty of promises, uh, even if we're just looking in the New Testament, that God will supply all our need, that God's grace will be sufficient. So many promises that the Lord gives us as a Christian but how many can we use? How many are we honestly doing our part for? How many can we actually tap into and use in our Christian life? God is such, a, such an incredible God to not just give us a way out of hell, not just to give us a way into heaven, but he said, while you're here, I'm even going to bless you for things that you do good that you're supposed to already do. It, it, it astounds me. I remember as a kid, and, and I, I know every, every household has something different, and I'm not saying what, what is right or wrong to do, but as a kid, uh, I remember walking up to my dad, and I felt like I was on an Andy Griffith show. I walked up to my dad, and I you know, remember asking him, I was maybe seven or eight years old, I said, Dad, why don't I get an allowance? I said, you know, and I was honestly asking, I don't think I was doing it in a, in a 
hateful way about oh, I was a dad. Why, why don't I, I well, you know, my friends get an allowance. Why, why, why don't I get an allowance? He said, why would I pay you for something that you're supposed to do? And I remember thinking, oh, okay, that's fair. Uh, you know, walking away, I get it. You know, Dad, why do I have to take out the trash? Because you want to see the outside of the trash, not the inside of the trash. It's just the way it goes. You live in my house, is the way it's going to go. But God said, you know, yeah, you live in my house. You play by my rules, but I'm going to bless you when you do stuff. I remember time and time again as a kid that I would try to do some chores and, and try to do some things extra, and my dad would, would give us something. Maybe not something, you know, anything big. But he'd give us a prize for doing something extra, or we did something trying to help my mom, or, or trying to do something around the house trying to help. He'd give us a reward. He didn't have to do that. We lived, you know, he paid for everything. We lived in his house. He, he didn't have to do that. But you know why he did it? He wanted to show that appreciation as a father. But I, I didn't get those things just by waking up and being his son. And trust me, I tried. I didn't get those things just by being his son. I got those prizes, those rewards for using a promise that he had already given me. As a kid, I remember time and time again when birthdays and Christmases would come around and I'd get so excited to see what my mom and dad got me because I know they spent time putting thought into whatever gift we were being given. I remember it was tough. My dad was an evangelist for 12 years. We didn't have a whole lot of money. And looking back, I don't even know how they got us some of the presents that they got us. But they always found a way to give us that one thing, maybe not the, the ultimate thing that we really wanted because you know how kids are. We asked for the most outrageous things, uh, but you know, maybe not that thing, but something really cool. And I knew they would, I knew they'd give us something really neat. And so it made me look forward to it. What promises can you use? Are we not remembering the promises that God has already fulfilled in our life? A lot of us, I think we miss out on some promises. We miss out on some, uh, some rewards, some blessings in our life because we forget what God has already done. We forget to look back and see the many miracles God has placed in our life. And I, I, don't, I don't mean to preach a, a, a prosperity gospel. I don't think that's, that's true at all. I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to that idea. But what I do believe is that God will take care of those who follow him. The just shall live by faith alone. And then David went on to say, I've yet to see the righteous forsaken. Those who truly follow God, those who truly uh, give God a lordship of their life and, and, and honestly live by the book, I've yet to see them begging bread. It's not that you'll be rich beyond compare. God will give some riches and some not. He doesn't give it to me because he knows I spend it very quickly. Uh, you know, I can, I can go through money just like that. So he doesn't trust me with that kind of money, but he may give me something else. I, I just... Three, four weeks ago, I uh, got to have our, our second child, a little baby girl, and, uh, and it, was, it was an amazing miracle, again, to see that, uh, that gift of life come into the world. And, and I remember sitting there holding her already, and time and time again at night, my, my wife and I, we switch off time to feed, and, and I get the late shift so that way she can sleep. Uh, I guess that was good replacing she had the baby. Uh, you know, like, I, I'll take the late shift. Uh, but we, 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 turn, we take turns there, and, and every single time I get to hold her, do the same thing with my son, and, and he, he was our firstborn, and I remember just sitting there every single time and sitting there going, you know what, God, if, if this is what you give me, I'm, I'm happy. I, I'm, I'm a happy camper, uh, which I don't, I don't understand that phrase. I don't think anybody's ever actually been a happy camper, uh, but I, I'm a happy camper. And I, I appreciate the little things that God gives us, but if we're not careful, we won't tap into some of the things God has for us because we forget what he's already done. The second question I want to ask you is, what promises won't you use? What promises will you go an entire lifetime without getting a part of? 
And it's kind of a scary thought that there could be untapped potential in a human life for God. There are so many people that need to hear the gospel. So many people in our world, and you look at our country today, it's crazy. So many people that need some kind of hope. We're coming out of one of the most crazy times I think our country has ever seen. And on the end of this, when this is all said and done, it's going to be up to the church to give the hope that the world's looking for. It's, it's funny to me to watch Christians freak out, and, and I kind of sit back and go, this, this shocks you? You realize you took, you took God out of public schools. You took God out of everywhere else. What did you expect? I, I, you, I, I, it blows my mind why it blows people's minds. I don't get it. Because we have that hope. It's up to us to give that hope. The reason our country's a mess right now, and can I, can I say it? It's our problem. It's our fault. We need to look in the mirror. Church didn't do enough. Christians haven't done enough. You know why? We forgot what God had already done. We, we, we forgot the revivals. We forgot the many souls that had already been saved. And we got complacent. Paul said we can be content. But he didn't say we can be complacent. He didn't say we can sit still. and Okay, I'm happy with my life. God, I, I appreciate what you've given me. I appreciate what you've done. But this is it. I'm good. And, and, I, and I'm afraid that a lot of Christians are going to miss out for the rest of their lives on maybe some people that they could reach with the gospel. Maybe some areas where they could still grow in their faith. You know, none of us really arrive. The Bible never calls us adults of God. We're always children of God, meaning there's always something that we can learn. So what promises can you use and what promises won't you use? And I've got a couple things that looking at in this passage, I see really the ultimate promise. And that's what I entitled the message here, the ultimate promise. It's what I see, and the ultimate promise in this passage that I see is God's presence. You know, how many times do we look at some things that God gives us, and we, we kind of rank them in our mind? Well, that was a, that was a big miracle. This, this was okay. That, that was kind of big. And we, we almost kind of give them a spot where this was God's big moment. This was, yeah, you know, he gave us a parking spot at Walmart. This was, that was all right. You know, we, we see our miracles kind of in ranking. So if we want to put it in rank, that I think to me the top blessing, the top promise God can give us is him being with us. What, what, did, what did Moses say? God told him, he said, Moses, look, I can't let you in the promised land. You disobeyed me one too many times, and that was, you know, that was the punishment. I can't let you in. You can go in with the children of Israel, and I'm staying out here. I won't be with anybody. Or you can stay out here with me, and I'll go with them and be with you. And Moses said, I, I want to be with you. I don't, I, God, I, I know what that means. Moses had to stand at the edge of the promised land and wave goodbye to his family. Moses had to stand on the edge of the promised land and wave goodbye to the young man he trained to lead the children of Israel. Wave goodbye to all the different people in his life that meant something to him so he could die alone. But really, he died in the presence of God and, and what better place to be? The ultimate promise is God's presence. I want to ask you a question before we get into the message. If all salvation was to you was to get to heaven, and if you got there and God wasn't there, would it be worth it? If we got to see our loved ones, that would be neat. We get to see the streets of gold and the gates of pearl. What a glorious place to be. But if God himself wasn't there, would it be worth it? Sometimes we forget that salvation is not just a fire escape from hell. It's not just getting eternal life, it's having God's presence with you. 
It's being in a relationship with God Himself. I want to focus on four different people that will try to do something in your world concerning this promise. First, I see Satan wants to detain you with your past. Satan wants to detain you with your past. I wrote down three different things underneath that. Letter A underneath that, if you will. He wants to detain you from salvation. John chapter 10, verse 10, very popular verse, says the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Nothing Satan does ends up with structure. Nothing Satan does ends up with any kind of glory in it at all. He is a destroyer. He wants to bring down. And if he can get a lost person so hung up in their past, he's done his job. If he can get someone who does not believe, who has not accepted that gift of salvation to get hung up on what they used to be, what they used to do, what they, what they are so stuck in, the sin that they're stuck in in their past, that they miss the hope of heaven, that they miss a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's done his job. That's what he wants to do ultimately every time someone is born. He wants to distract them so much, detain them so much in their past, that they never reach out for the healing hand of the Savior. The second thing he wants to do underneath that, he wants to detain you from your sanctification. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 12, verses 6 through 9 says, For though, let me double check, I got that right. Yeah, 6 through 9. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said, this is the key verse, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for, me, for thee, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. Paul came to God three different times. God, I don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Uh, many different people have their ideas of what it was. Maybe it was something physical. Maybe it was something spiritual. Whatever it was, Paul came to God three different times and said, God, could you please take this away? And God, every single time, it's almost like when he was dealing with Peter and said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yeah, yeah, I love you. No, Peter, do you love me? Sure, yeah, I, I love you. And you know, we'll see Peter getting frustrated. God, I love you. I've said it. He said, feed my sheep. Not getting it. Paul, every single time, God, could you take this away from me? And God said, Paul, you're not getting it. My grace is sufficient for thee. What Satan would love to do for those he's already lost to salvation, those he's already lost uh, to Jesus Christ, he knows he can't get that soul to go to hell with him. So the next thing he'll do is he'll use the past maybe before your salvation or he'll use the past immediately after your salvation, some mistake you made yesterday and say that you cannot move any further than what you already have. This is it for you. This is all God can use you in. This is very, the very last step you can take in your walk of faith. And if we're not careful, church, we will get stuck in our past that God had already taken care of. Satan would love nothing more than for Victory Baptist Church to get stuck because that would mean nobody else in the community would hear about the gospel. Nobody else would be reached because of Victory Baptist Church. That would be something that Satan would glory in. That sanctification to be set apart 
away from uh, the, the bonds of sin, away from, I love in, in, in Philemon, Paul calls himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he says it quite literally, he's sitting in prison at the time, but I love that phrase, a prisoner of Christ. You know what that means? Paul said, I didn't just get away from the bonds and the, and the jail cell, if you will, of sin. Christ didn't just save me out of that, but I chose to walk into a different cell, chain myself up, and be a prisoner of Christ. Because I'm not a prisoner to that anymore. I'm not going to let myself wander back in. I'm going to do whatever Christ wants me to do. And if we're not careful, Satan would love to keep you from getting to that point where I'm all in. God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want. And, and we act like sometimes, and I remember being a teenager, listening to people preach, you know, you need to give your life to Christ and thinking, man, that means I'm going to be on, you know, in some jungle somewhere all by myself. And I don't know what that, I, I'm a little nervous about that, God. God's saying, it's not that difficult. I just need you to follow me. It's, it's interesting how Peter is the only one, only other human being be able to walk on water. And I believe he walked on it twice. He had to get back to the boat. But being able to walk on water. And, and it's funny, if you read the passage, Jesus doesn't specify who needs to get out of the boat. Every single gospel, never one time does he say, Peter, come. He just says, come. There should have been 11 other boys jumping out of that boat. And what's sad about it is there are many Christians that are on, I mean, they're, they're ready to go. They're jumping out of that boat. They're walking along. And just as life does, waves will start coming. I mean, goodness, Peter never took a water walking class. They didn't teach that in seminary. Okay? He didn't go, he didn't go to his, his synagogue and learn how to walk on water. If there had been 11 other boys around him, I don't think he would have sank. I don't think he would have had that problem. He'd have been totally sanctified to the, to, the, to the Savior. But if we're not careful, we allow ourselves and we allow a fellow man to get stuck in our past. Lastly, underneath that, Satan, he wants to detain you from your saturation. Look at uh, our, our text chapter, if you will, in, in chapter number 8. And if you look at the first four verses... In that chapter, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit in, of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the, to, weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What is Paul saying here to the church? Saying, look, don't get stuck where Satan wants you to get stuck. He's saying, church, you, you can move so much further. You realize what Christ did for us. You realize that the penalty Christ paid wasn't just so that way you could get out of hell into heaven, and that is a great thing, but it's while you're here, you don't have to be stuck by the bonds of sin that you were stuck. You don't have to be a slave to that sin that so easily besets you. You don't have to have to be bogged down with all the different cares and the, and the things that go on in this world. It's going to happen. There's going to be bad days. There's going to be good days. I've heard it said this way, and I, I totally agree with it, that while we should not give up our joy, our happiness is going to go by like that. One bad word from somebody, one, one mean look. I mean, goodness, we don't have to drive very far. Someone cuts us off, and you know we're, we're at it, man. Happiness can go away just like that. And again, we fall into that trap of getting back to sin. 
getting back to condemnation, wondering why we can't move any further from salvation. We're saved, and, and, and I've heard uh, my dad preach a message on if I'm saved, why am I so unhappy? And, and the reason is because we're stuck. We didn't move anywhere. We got saved. We used our get-out-of-hell-free card. That was great. Thank you. And then we stayed right there. We stayed right in the muck and the mire. If the prodigal son woke up and said, I, I need to go home, but stayed in the pig pen, he never gets the fatted calf. He never gets to stay home. His mind might have been right, his heart might have been right, but he didn't move anywhere. There was no action put in place. Listen, church, we're not just saved to be able to go to heaven one day. That's a great hope, that's a great joy that we have, that we know where our loved ones are. We know where those who have died in Christ have gone to, and we get to see them again. What a great thought. But it's while we're here, I get to take step after step closer to the Savior. I don't have to live where I used to live. The second person I see, sin wants to distract you with your present. So Satan wants to detain you with your past. Sin wants to distract you with your present. I played uh, basketball in junior high and high school. I really wasn't all that great at it. I grew up in Texas, so football was king, and I was very small, uh, so that didn't help. Uh, everyone likes to light up the little kid in the pads that barely fit him, uh, so that was fun. I really played a lot of baseball. Uh, but we moved up to Indiana, and of course up there, it's, it's high school basketball. That was, that was it. So had to learn how to play some basketball. And I wasn't big, wasn't tall, you know, wasn't really a big athlete, but I could do two things. I could pass the ball very well, and I could play defense. That was it. Wasn't the score. I'd, I'd get a million assists because I'd pass it to the guy who was going to score, and that was, that was my niche. But on defense, I remember time and time again, my coach would get in, he'd find whoever their score was, and he'd look at me and go, annoy him. I can do that. You know, this, I'm a little kid. I, I, know, I know how to do this. I'd get in that, guy, that guy's ear, and I wouldn't even trash talk. I'd just talk. I'd tell jokes. I'd sing. I, I'd do anything I could to get him distracted. If he's at the free throw lineup, hey, 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 how you doing? You know, I'm just doing just the most random things to get this guy just annoyed. And every once in a while, there'd be a couple guys that they knew what they were doing. They'd block everybody out, and they were good, and there was no, no doubt about that. But most of the time, it would drive that guy nuts to the point where he commits a foul you know, on me because he's getting frustrated, or he just does something dumb, gets pulled out of the game. And I, you know, my goal was to take him out of the game up here first, and then he'd do the rest himself. It's funny because that's how sin works. That's exactly how sin works. Sin plays the best defense on a believer that anybody could play because it doesn't, it doesn't sit there and mock you. It doesn't sit there and try to get up in your face. All it does is it whispers. Sits there and, and yaps. And time and time again, believers cave because ugh, I just, I'm tired of the pressure. God, I don't, I don't understand how you can leave me like this. I, 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 it's, what if I just, you know what, I'm just going to give in. It's easier that way. Sin doesn't want to do anything but distract you. It wants to get your mind focused on something that it's not supposed to be focused on. Underneath that, what it, what it wants you to distract you with your present, present hurts, number one. Uh, in verses 20 through 22, it says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected it the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into glorious liberty of the children of God. 
And it, it said in, uh, in verse number 22 that it groaneth and travaileth in pain together. We, we were stuck at a loss. God knew that. That's why he provided a way out. But we're stuck at a loss. And sin wants you to be stuck in that loss even after salvation. It knows it can't, it can't take away your salvation. It knows you're, you're already on your way to heaven. It knows that. Sin, sin understands that it, it can't do anything with your eternal life. So what it's going to do is do something with your physical life. It's going to try to distract you whether the sin is something very, very small in our eyes or something very, very big. It wants to keep your focus away from what you're supposed to be on. It will take present hurts. Things that you didn't think were coming your way. Things that you didn't order in the restaurant of life. Things that, okay, for instance, you know, when you go to a restaurant, nobody sits down and orders what they don't like. I, I'm not going to sit down and order. I, I'm from Texas, and I, I, you know, I claim Texas all the way, but I'm not a Dr. Pepper fan. I do not like Dr. Pepper. I, don't, I just don't like the way it tastes. It's actually the aftertaste. It's not the taste. It's the aftertaste. It's awful. Uh, that's why I was really happy when we moved to Carolina because I'm, I'm a Mountain Dew guy. So I'm not going to sit down and order a Dr. Pepper. It's not going to happen. More power to you if you like Dr. Pepper. I'm not going to drink it, so I'm not going to order it. I don't, I don't super love coconut. I know that's, that's a no-no in the South, but I, I don't super love coconut. I don't like potato salad. It's just little things that I don't, you know, just don't really love. And everyone, well, you haven't tried mine yet. You're right. Uh, and you're probably not going to. Uh, but yeah, just little things that I don't like, just never got a taste for them. I'm not going to sit down and order things that I don't like. But what's funny is sin wants you to focus on the meal that you didn't order. Jesus Christ, the waiter, comes and lays down something. God, I didn't order that. The death of a loved one, sickness, money problems, whatever it is, he comes and lays it down. Excuse me, I, I didn't order this. It, I know, this is the chef's special. This is what he wants you to have. But I, I didn't, I, you don't understand, I don't like this. And what sin will want you to do is sit there and focus and get bitter and get angry about that one thing that didn't go your way your entire life and you miss out on what God had for you. I remember as a kid, my mom had a rule when she made something new or something green because that was probably what I wasn't going to eat. And she would tell you, just try it once. Just try it once. But you have to eat the whole thing. But you got to try it at least once. You can't say you haven't tried it. And it was funny how most of the time I ended up liking whatever it was. It's funny how that worked out. Mom knew. And that's kind of how we are as, as Christians. God's saying, try it. I, I don't like that. Look at it. I don't like to try it. What does he say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Not the problem. The problem is always going to be bad, but taste and see that the Lord is good. Very quickly, uh, there are present hurdles that sin wants you to get caught up on. Paul in Galatians asked who hindered them, not what hindered them. Sometimes your hurdles are going to be those around you and not always, or maybe yourself. Uh, not always just a sin, not always just a, a transgression, but it could be someone. And then present harm. Uh, things that could befall you tomorrow. Uh, the worry of what's going to happen today. Uh, the fear going around because of a, a pandemic that is very real. But if we're not careful, we get focused on the problem and not on the master. Very quickly, the third person I see is self wants to deter you with your future. 
The unknown is something that scares everyone. The unknown of what's going to happen in the future. What am I going to do if this happens? What am I going to do if I can't? And it scares us so much sometimes that some believers sit where they are and allow themselves to talk them out of a promise that God has given them. God's sitting there saying, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men and self saying, but what if they don't like me? What, what, if, what if they won't listen to me, God? I, I'm, not, I'm not a good speaker. I, I'm, not, I'm not even a good people person. I'm very shy. What if they won't listen to me? I, I can't sing. I, I, can't, I, I can't do all this stuff that, that I see at church. I can't do all that. What, what do you want from me? What if I can't reach them? God said, I will make you fishers of men. But we get ourselves so worried about the future that we, met, we, we miss the promises of God, the unknown, the unwilling. In, in Romans chapter 6, uh, very quickly, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace abound? I love this answer. God forbid. How shall we say that, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? The unwilling to move from where we are because, well, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Is that, is that a reason to live in sin? Paul said, God forbid. No. Is that a reason to just give up and let sin win? Because eventually I know God's going to come to the rescue. Eventually I know Dad's going to come bail me out. Eventually I know He, he loves me enough not to leave me here. And that, that is correct. But what are we supposed to do as a Christian? Psalms chapter 23. Very, very, very familiar passage. Read at a lot of funerals because of the comfort that it brings. But it says that the one phrase that I always get hung up on. It says, he, he leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God loves you. There's no doubt about it. God's crazy about you. There's no doubt about it. He wouldn't have sent his son to die for you if he, did, if he wasn't crazy about you. But why does he do it? For his name's sake. Not because of anything we are. Not because of how good we are but because he knows something that we don't. He sees something in us that we don't. He sees a world around us that could be reached through us for him that we don't. And we're unwilling. Then the uncommitted. I already mentioned it before, but the prodigal son sitting there not, not wanting to go back home. No doubt. I don't know how long he was away. I don't know if it was weeks, days. I don't know. But the uncommitted to stay at home in the first place and then to, to sit there and have to battle yourself coming home. I, I, I'm not a prodigal son. I, I never tested uh, the things of the world and, and don't plan on it. But I, I will tell you this, Victory. We need to do both things as a church. Number one, we need to be like the father waiting at the end of the driveway for the prodigal to come home. We need to be there ready with open arms when they come home. And then those who stayed, we need to make sure that we don't forget about them. The prodigal's brother got very bitter because I mean, he's, he's working his tail off. And, and rightfully so. I'm, I'm the oldest of three brothers. I know how that goes. I, I was the guinea pig. Okay, I, I know how that goes. And if we're not careful, we neglect one or the other or both because we're so focused on ourselves. We're uncommitted. 
We're not committed to reaching those around us because of ourselves. And then lastly, and this is the one I want to leave us on very quickly, the Savior wants to deliver you to His promise. First, it's a holy promise. In, in our, our uh, text chapter that we were reading, Romans chapter 8, verses 29, uh, starting in verse number 29, it says, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, who, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall we not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that he is, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. I love the last verse in that chapter, verse number 39, or verse number 38, rather, and 39. It says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a holy promise. It's one that God says, look, you may think you're doing a whole lot, and, I, and God appreciates it. There's no doubt about it. We see that through the blessings that we get. God loves His children being about his fa their Father's business. But he also wants to remind us that, look, I took care of it. The reason I don't want you worried about the sin in your life as far as being, being bogged down with it, you need to worry about it, about getting right with God for sure. But the reason I don't want you caught up in that, the reason I don't want you stuck, the reason I don't want you living for who you used to be and not who you can be is because I took care of it. Stop worrying about that. Stop, stop messing around. Uh, my dad... When it came time for us to go to the room, and uh, he'd send us to his room because he didn't want us messing around with anything in our room. He's very smart. Uh, and we, I'd go in there, and I'd sit there, and what felt like years before he came in and trying to figure out what your story is. And, but, Father, I, have, I wasn't saved, and I got saved again. And, uh, and I, it was, I was a reprobate, and I've given that over. Uh, so it's okay. We don't need to do this. Uh, I tried everything. It didn't work. But when he came in, the punishment was given. And it was always funny. We'd sit down. He'd wait. Because, you know, especially if you're little, you're doing the whole hyperventilating thing. <laughs> you know, you're waiting to catch your breath. And he'd sit there and he'd wait. We'd talk through it. And he'd say, this isn't going to happen again. No, sir. Not this specific thing. Something else will happen. But no, sir, not this thing. And it was funny. He'd always say, okay, now when we leave, we're done. Stays in here. When we leave, we're not going to talk about it. It's over. Dad took care of it. And then he tried to tell a joke. Of course, at that point, you're not I'm not wanting to laugh. Uh, but, you know, he, he always wanted to make sure we knew, I'm done. I'm not going to hold this over your head. Punishment was taken care of. We've got it settled. Some of us are so bent on being stuck in the sin that we committed God, you don't understand what I've done. God said, yeah, I do. I became it. I took care of it. Why are you stuck with it? I've forgotten about it. And God remembers everything. I forgot about it. Why can't you? 
I've I've cast it as far as east is from the west. And I know our human nature wants to hang on to things. And that's, again, that's Satan trying to keep us in the past, sin trying to keep us in the present. God's saying, I've taken care of it. Stop worrying about it. It's a heartwarming promise, but then it's an honest promise. Think of all the people in the Bible that got to see this promise of God's presence. And and, and I'll I'll give you this and I'll be done. But going through what we call the hall of faith, you see so many people that tapped into that promise of, if you trust me, I'll be with you. Think of Rahab, someone who, man, most of us would not want to be associated with. Someone who we just, that wouldn't be the person that we'd want our daughters to look up to. But God told her, if you, if you trust me, I'll take care of it. Think of Ruth, someone who wasn't even an, an, an Israelite, someone who had no business being in the lineage of Christ. God said, I'll take care of it. You think of David, Daniel, the three Hebrew children, Timothy, who got to grow up in a Christian home, one of the first century pastors who got to grow up in a Christian home, Paul, becoming Paul, all the different people that, man, God said, I'll take care of it. It's, a, it's an honest promise because from the very beginning, and I mentioned it at the beginning, and, and again, I'll give you this and, and we'll be done. But at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, he gives Adam and Eve their first promise. He says, number one, through your generations is going to come the Savior. Through your lineage is going to come the person who's going to take care of all this. What a cool thing to be a part of. But then he said, number two, he said, this serpent here may bruise your heel. He's going to try to annoy you. He's going to try to get at you, whatever he can do to to make you fall. But in the end, you're going to bruise his head. Talking about the eventual Savior. If you fast forward a couple thousand years, you see a little boy, well, not little boy, probably 16, 17 years old, walking down into a valley. He's going by a brook, heart probably pounding. He's nervous, going to do one of the biggest things he's ever going to do in his life. Picks up five smooth stones, gets what he thinks he's going to be able to to knock this giant out. Gets down to the valley, and, and, and there he stands. The Philistines, I believe, in, in the pictures given in the Old Testament are, are a big picture of Satan and his, his army. And what, what he'll go, what great lengths he'll go to keep you from reaching your potential. And Goliath, no doubt, a, a big time picture of Satan himself. David walking out there, and Goliath mocking, saying, this, this is him? This is who you're going to send out to me? bring it on kid I can almost see Goliath kind of leaning in to do your worst and David said well I don't have much I I really don't have a whole lot if you could scoot over just a little bit thank you I don't really have a whole lot but I do know I come in the name of the almighty and down goes Goliath David then goes and chops Goliath's head off a gory picture Uh, goes up and chops Goliath's head off I hope they have all this on DVD in heaven uh, but it goes in and chops that head off. I don't know how long that took. I don't know if it was a clean cut. It's just, I'm a preacher's kid, so my mind's a little warped. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how much, how, how much of a struggle he had to get that head off. It's a big dude. Gets the head off. The Bible says he goes into Saul's tent. He goes to show Saul his trophy. Saul says, I don't want it, which is a sermon in and of itself. Because if you stop doing what God has for you, God says, I've got somebody else who'll do it. 
Mordecai told Esther, he said, yeah, you can, you can save your own life, but you were born for such a time as this. So many people will be saved if you go in. God's got somebody else in case you don't, but why not be used by God? Saul didn't want the head of Goliath. Saul didn't want the trophy David had because it reminded him of what he used to be. So Saul sends him out. I don't want it. David goes, puts it in his tent. He goes and kills a bunch of Philistines like it's nothing. Gets back. And then he goes and buries the skull or the head in Jerusalem. Years later, he'll move the capital to Jerusalem. If you fast forward a couple more thousand years, the, Rome, the Romans are in charge of that area, trying to keep peace with the Hebrews. They name a lot of the, the mountains in the areas based off of Hebrew tradition. The name they give the mountain that David buries the, the, the head of Goliath on was Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull. It had kind of a twofold meaning. If you see pictures of it on the, the side of the cliff, it, it depicts a skull. But based off a of tradition from what I, I've read in history, they named it because of the story. Not too long after that, out of Bethlehem, the city of David, the lineage of David, comes Jesus Christ himself. Walking up that hill, and I wonder if while the soldiers were digging that ditch for the cross, if they didn't all of a sudden, what was that? Okay, look, there, there really is a skull here. And at the end of it all, yeah, Satan, your champion bruised my heel, but I got his head. At the end of it all, if you would just trust in Christ, not just for salvation, but that the fact that he will put the exclamation point on your life. It's hard. I know it's hard. The, the, the days and, and the nights where you feel like you've been abandoned, the days and the nights where we feel like we've lost it all and God's saying, just keep carrying that cross. Keep going. We're almost there. He's, he's, getting, my, he's getting my heel and God said, he's a snake. That's what they do. I'm from Texas. The, the, the saying down there, and I'm sure you got it up here, is the only good snake is a dead snake. God's saying, it's okay. You got it. Keep going, Christian, because eventually, although Satan's got your heel at the moment, God's going to get his head. Eventually, that ultimate promise of God's presence will be there. We just got to hang on. And I, I know it, it's tough, especially in times like this, We've got a crazy pandemic going on, a lot of craziness going on in our country. But if we, were, if we were to stop, tell Satan he's not welcome. The Bible says resist him and he'll flee. Tell Satan he's not welcome. I've got no, I've got no time for you. Tell sin, I, I, I don't have enough time in my lifetime to be, to be distracted by you. Look yourself in, in, in the mirror and say, I've got no time for you either. Because we all know we get in, ourselves, in our own way time and time again. And then get alone with God. And if, if we were to spend, and I've, I've known this to be true, I've seen this in, in many Christians, if we were to spend more time, if we were to spend more time in our prayer time just thanking God for who He is, praising God for what He's done, and worshiping Him for what He can do and will do, we find out that the cares of this world, what does the song say, will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That ultimate promise is there for a reason. 
And it's because if we trust in him, not just for salvation, although if you don't know him as your personal savior, now's a good time to get it settled. But for the believer, it's an everyday kind of faith. Every step, every, every morning that we wake up, he says his mercies are new because, number one, he knows we're going to need them. But number two, he knows we can grow. And you can keep getting more and more of that faith and see more and more of that that, that reaping of a harvest of souls and, and spiritual growth in your own life. Would you maybe take a few moments here as, I don't know if the musicians are coming to play or whatever um, is, is customary here, but would you take a few moments and maybe, maybe do some inventory in your own life? Maybe look around and see, maybe there's something I need to get rid of or maybe there's something I need to add. Maybe it's just, God, I, I haven't been giving you the time that I need to give you. Maybe it's simply, man, I, I really haven't been worried about the lost souls around me. Or maybe it's, I just, I haven't really been digging deep in the promises that God's given us. You know, the, Paul said, it, there's milk of the word and there's meat of the word. And sometimes we, we just don't like eating that meat because it's, it's too rough. And the rough part of it is, if, if we don't stop and do this in his glory, do it for his, his namesake, then we're, we're nothing. We're a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.